do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, the students, <laughs> whenever I ask about the videos, every student will always answer with in in a selfish kind of way. Very few of them, and then they'll. The second thought is, oh well, maybe this will be good for someone else, and so oh, it might oh. be valuable to get to get posted. Oh. And that's that's exactly the whole process. Is first we see things selfishly. So I don't know if I want other people to see me. Mm-hmm. Into, uh, oh, yeah. maybe it will be of value or use for someone else, and so yeah. that's a good yeah. transition. And I saw you go through both of them really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but some people they don't want it uh, recorded for one reason or another, and so I respect that. Yeah, but I tease them about it too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, um, um, one of one of the students lives in Tunisia, and his name is Mohammed. So you know why he doesn't want to have his videos recorded with me. Mm. Dangerous, downright dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, college professors tend to not want their uh, videos recorded because mm. they've got uh, that kind of stuff. And generally women are mm. frightened. So I congratulate you in, on that regard that you're, that you're letting it, your videos be done. Thank and, you. I'm, I'm kind of challenging myself to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm glad to hear then that the uh, and we didn't record the first one that we did together. No. But I am glad to hear that you have gotten benefit yeah. out of the introductions from Anapanasati, and that's really really good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just to give the uh, the students a taste of it, but this taste actually comes out of the big pot or the big stew. It's all the same thing. The taste that you're getting now is, in fact, the taste of the Dhamma, the Mm. taste of freedom. Mm. And that what we're going to do is to let that um, become more predominant part of our life, Mm. rather than we're just introduced to the idea or the concept and we like it a little bit. Now, uh, eventually, it, it (laughs) <laughs> takes over yeah actually that's the the right word i was looking for in a way before i called you even the first time it, it's this freedom that's what what it's about yeah yeah right and that freedom then is the freedom from uh you could say it's the freedom from our past because yeah. in a very strange way it really is but another way of looking at it is, is that actually what the past is, is that our, is, it determines and defines who we are in our personality, in all of the various aspects of personality. Yeah. And that the Buddha actually has the five aggregates, and a good way of looking at the five aggregates is, oh, this is the human personality. Mm. But the body, the feelings, the way that we perceive stuff, all of our old sankaras and ways of doing things. And so the subtotal of a person who he sees as this is me is the sum total of the personality. Mm. And that what people get, the delusion is, is I am this personality. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so when we're having negative thoughts, I am the negative thoughts. Yeah. And another one, which they do quite commonly, I am the body. Yeah. Look how many industries are associated with that delusion, I am the body. Yeah. An example would be the cosmetic industry, yeah. the hairdressers, yeah. the clothing industry, the sports industry, and especially the sports clothing industry. Yeah. I am a sportsman, you see. And yeah. that this is all of that uh, delusion that we have about who we are. Mm. Now, we may not have a whole lot of control over the body, but we certainly have a lot of control over the way we feel. But most people don't control the way they feel they uh feel the way that they've been in the habit of feeling yeah yeah so they respond to bad news the same way they've always responded to bad news yeah and they respond to news the same way that they always have responded to news they call it bad Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah And so all news is bad news, and all bad news causes bad feelings. Yeah. And that's the way that so many people live their lives. Yeah. But we can come out of that. Directly, we can come out of it any time we remember to come out of it. Mm. So the skills that we're going to be developing have to do with the skills of being able to wake up. And the associated skills around waking up. So that we see what's going on. The next one would be investigation. To be able to investigate what's going on. In the sense of uh, recognizing that the thought that we just had was probably not all of that valuable. That yeah, it's coming, out of possibi- uh, coming out of the personality is yeah. the way I think that. I like thinking that way because I've always been thinking that way. Yeah. But thinking those thoughts don't really help. They're not really useful. No. We call them junk thoughts. Yeah. But there's ha- there has been a big difference in those later years for me because I was in such a misery, despair and fear and all of that before. Uh, that uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, being, it, it's not the same. It's a little less nowadays, but it's still there. And it still comes up sometimes, those really bad things. Mm-hmm. But now it's more like, it's kind of interesting. I can be with it and I, I, I need to find out where is it going. But now I started to realize exactly what you said. No, it's not at all interesting even. And it doesn't mm-hmm. help at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I really... <laughs> Try to get back to what you said. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go over that. What you just talked about was in the old days when you were young, and yeah. I was I would assume that meant uh, before the time when we had first gotten together on the internet about twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the past twenty years, you have been in the process of waking up. Yes. And you've it, been it, making some changes all along the way, sometimes in fits and starts, but things are different now because you have begun to wake up through yes. the Dhamma. And yeah. so you've got to give yourself credit for that. Congratulate yourself for the progress you've already made. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. You are changing. 
Yeah, and I can see. Yeah, I know there's something in here. I knew it all the time, but I didn't see it like this. I didn't know exactly how to do. I was reading a lot this Buddha Dasa's book and from what you said on the the those um, mailing lists and all of that, but I couldn't really get it together for me. Uh, uh, how to do it, how to translate it from the books and from the general way. But now when I got these specific instructions from you, it kind of fell into play. You you used the, the words and the context and so everything kind of started making such sense. Even if I may not understand it fully even now, but I know there's uh, this is it in a way, yeah. You can also see that, um, or possibly understand that in Thailand, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa knew how to speak to people, uh -huh. and they got it. Uh -huh. like, literally by the hundreds of thousands of, of Thai people who still hold him dear in, in their hearts. So he knew how to speak to Thai people. Uh -huh. And what I've been pra practicing and learning how to do is better and better speak to uh, Western culture. Mm. Yeah. But it's the same message, but I had to get it out of him and put it into the context so that I can tell you. Mm. But in fact, it's the same thing. Uh-huh, yeah. You could go yeah. back to his text. And in mm. fact, Robert was doing it just backwards because he's been a student here for several years now, as well as been in Buddhism for a long, long time. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was actually down here at Wat Suan Mok, but he normally lives in the... Um, the northwest of Thailand, up and around in Chiang Mai. Mm -hmm. His background is, is that he was Mormon. He learned to speak Thai through the Mormon missionaries, and then they put him in Thailand, and he said he really learned to talk Thai by talking to the children. Uh, after, <laughs> after that, he's gotten quite good. So now he's actually doing some translations of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Okay. Oh. And yesterday he called and says, you've been harping on this, uh, whatever it was, you've been harping on this for time after time after time. And every time I hear you say it, I say, yeah, yeah, I get it. I know. And, but yesterday I was reading Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa saying exactly that same thing. And bang, I got it. Finally, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, finally, he's got it, even though it's been there to, uh, all yeah. along. Well, learning is like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Especially the, the kinds of things that we're talking about, because they go against the grain, mm -hmm. literally. Mm -hmm. They go right perpendicular to our um, uh, fiber of yeah. our personality. Yeah, yeah. And so... The personality then in that regard is really strongly resisting mm. what we're talking about. Yeah. You can't generally, with, unless you're really, really good with a really good axe, most axes, you can't just take one whack and chop down a tree. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep hitting it and chopping and moving around and hitting yeah. it and hitting it like that until finally you get it weak enough to where it'll fall over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the personality. We have to keep whacking mm -hmm. at it and chopping at it over and over again and understanding that, first yeah. off, that we are not the personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet almost all of our uh, systems, people identify this is who I am. Yeah. And it's I, built into I, our culture. 
I think, yeah, I think I got a little of that. For the first time I saw the mind, uh, I, I started thinking, oh, I am not the mind. It's not, yeah, and I could even have some compassion for the whole thing going on in the midst. And it was something really, really wow. I, I yeah. And, and I heard of it so many times, but it, now it kind of started to make so much sense. And uh -huh. You can see it directly for yourself. That's what yeah. it takes. We keep having to yeah. whack around it and keep chopping. And mm. then eventually we hit, we strike a nerve or, or something. Uh -huh. so it, yeah. And it happens and it, and it sinks in. So that's good. This uh -huh. is what spiritual progress is all about. Uh-huh is to hear the things over and over again, but many people will just memorize it or just leave it at the surface to where the real point is, is this stuff needs to go really deep. Yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah. Mm. They, we have a lot of analogies about that. One is like walking the walk versus talking the talk. That Yeah, he can talk the talk, but can he walk the walk? Yeah, okay. Poetic way of saying it. Mm. Yeah that we can learn things at a surface level, but sometimes they hit us really hard. We, yeah. uh, we call this insight, but there's another kind of insight that has sometimes as much or more effect. And that's the kind of insight that we don't really think about, but that things are doing finally correctly. An example of that is as you relax or as you sigh or as you go for the out breath that is relaxing and at peace. Yeah, that's actually a kind of insight in and of itself, not verbal, not conceptualized, mm -hmm. but experiential. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we keep doing that over and over again. And we begin to build the habit of being relaxed and at peace. So I think now it becomes more natural. I think I got some of that too, <laughs> a little. A little of it, yeah, yeah. I, I got a little of of uh, all those things in a way. <laughs> Maybe not everything, but but somehow it, yeah, it. it so you've got you've got budding skills. That's great. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like to hear the students actually recognize that. Hey, there's there's been some major changes in life so far. These skills are actually worthwhile getting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, really. continuing to wake up, continuing to take the right effort and continuing yeah. to, uh, uh, let us say, change our attitude from the loser to the winner, become yeah. that winner. Yeah. Allow ourselves the joy of being successful. Yeah. And so that's what you're kind of doing. You're kind of giving yourself credit. You're taking credit for or you're being uh, in recognition of that you've made progress. This is success. This is real stuff. Okay. And that you can use that as um, a, a further new avenue for joy. Yeah. Yeah. With the idea, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's all about that. This. This kind of, I don't know if it's the right word, but confidence that this is the it in a way. It it works. It, it really mm -hmm. does. Yeah. 
That's exactly the right word to use, confidence. Uh-huh. In, in Pali, the word is shraddha, and shraddha actually is translated generally, the way that Christians would, as faith. Uh-huh, okay. But faith is not shraddha, and in fact, some people say, well, you have to have a little faith. Oh, no, you don't need any faith at all. We start with evidence. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you, you already had some evidence that meditation might yeah. be useful before you ever sit down to try it. Yeah. But now that you're practicing, now real evidence is beginning to grow yeah. to the point of confidence. Yeah, I think this is what always confused me. All those metaphors, faith and all of that. I cannot translate it. I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand what they're talking about with those words. <laughs> Right. And possibly a lot of it has to do with just bad translations. And another one has to do with that the concepts go that go along with the original word, the concepts, because of the wrong translation, don't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then but the I, word I mean... is actually confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And the Buddha is actually quite clear about it. If you really understand what the sutras are saying, you can see how all of this stuff just fits right together in a neat little ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and this is, I think, this is where I get so confused from the language and the Christian thing, um, that I, I try to understand it and try to make something of it. And I, I, get, I get really confused. I, I don't... Uh, I, I get so much in into my head, and I I get lost from that. Okay. Well, yeah. what what will happen over time is you'll begin to see better how things fit together. Mm. Very mm. very easily they fit together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, perhaps the way that we should then uh, approach this is by giving you an overview. Yeah. Of the whole path. Mm -hmm. So there's a sutta where the Buddha is uh, accused, wrongly accused, of teaching annihilationism. Now, what that means is on the breakup of the body, the existing being is annihilated. Mm. Now, this is what the, the Brahmins were accusing him of, of teaching. Basically, it's like the Christians accusing someone of being an atheist. Oh, uh, okay. Because the existing self, uh, is destroyed or annihilated at the breakup of the body. Yeah. But there's still a belief in a soul or a self, mm. which is the personality. And the Buddha was saying, oh, no, I don't teach that. What I teach is both before and now, I teach only one thing. Mm. And that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Yeah. yeah. That's the only thing he teaches. Mm. All right. So that means that the only thing I've got to teach is just that to you. Just three words, Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it doesn't mean very much. We have to put it in the kind of right context. Okay. Yeah, yeah but I think I got that. That, that was what really uh, helped me so much because I get into all those theories and I read and I try to fit things together. But the way you said it, it was this. 
I didn't have to get into those things when I sat there in meditation as I usually do. Sometimes I even get up from the, the, the chair and go and check something out because I need to know. But now I could sit from what you said. No, it's about this. I, my mind is wandering away because I don't focus my breath kind of thing. So that, that's it. It's enough. And then I could keep doing it. So it yeah. really worked. In a way, that is, in fact, meditation. Mm -hmm. Okay, of contemplating on something, trying to figure it out. In Christian meditations, they have things like meditate upon the Trinity, mm. or, med or meditate upon the mercy of God, or mm. and then the mind just spins and spins around yeah. a topic. Yeah, yeah, All right? yeah. That, and that they use that word meditation to talk about what Buddhists are doing. No, Buddhists are not doing meditation. Yeah. Mm. We're doing mental development, Sita yeah. Bhavana. Yeah, yeah. And we're yeah. doing Anapanasati. Yeah. We're developing the mind. We're not just uh, trying to figure something out. We're mm. trying to look at how the mind itself functions and works. Yeah. So yeah. as to how we wind up in Dukkha. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So one is using the, the mental equipment for figuring out something on the, basically it's an outside issue. It's something outside of ourselves. Yeah. But what we really need to do is to figure out what's going on in here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and so anything that takes us out of the present moment. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a, here's a point, And that is, is that if you were uh, going to make this choice, of either think about poly terms and wanting to go look them up and or rehashing an argument that you had with an old friend that's now an enemy, <laughs> I would choose to reminisce about the Dhamma over having bad feelings about an old argument. Mm. But you can see the, the, the mind will go from, from one to the other. But an even better thing to do is to have the mind focused on What's going on right now? Mm -hmm. What a nice moment this is. This is really good stuff. And yes. look at how I feel, you know? And so we begin to pay attention to what's going on, the way we feel, the way we... And, and so um, we begin also to, to pull apart this thing called personality to recognize I'm not that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Now, mm. later in one's practice, years later, it's even more important to stay out of the past. And here's why. And this may be valuable to you because you just mentioned it. And that is, is that when we are young, we misbehave. Yeah. We don't know that we're misbehaving. So we're just acting naturally for that. But later we reflect to see that was misbehavior. Mm -hmm. But then the mistake that we make is, I was misbehaving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was bad. But the reality is, is that, oh, this is just an old memory of misbehavior. And yeah. I am not that memory. Yeah. Therefore, I do not have to feel the feelings that I would if I were feeling uh, angry or uh, uh, disapproving of myself for my own bad behavior. Yeah. But the better thing to do is to just stay out of the past. Yeah. Okay. Because it's dangerous. We have been misbehaving all along, and the higher our morality due to the higher our state of mind, 
then the more likely our past is going to look pretty dirty. Yeah. <laughs> and so it get and so it as you get better, it only gets worse and worse in comparison. Uh, yeah. Therefore, staying out of the past is a major, major uh, point, and the Buddha is careful about that with lots of suttas about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that reminiscing in the past is, in fact, one of the hindrances. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Right I think I, in yeah. a way, I kind of got out of that uh, I am bad thing, uh, the guilt and all of those things. I don't think of myself like that anymore. So there has been some kind of relief from all that misery. <laughs> <laughs> But then I got stuck because now I think, well, I'm kind of okay now. I'm trying to do the the right things and I don't do those things anymore. But so what what now? It's kind of uh, I don't even want to be some kind of good girl or in that way, the opposite of the bad things. But so mm -hmm. and, and now it's it, it was like, uh, OK, uh, what what right. now? Yeah. OK, well, let's look at it from that, because it's still kind of the difference between bright and dark. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. But 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 the but the dark becomes more subtle. As we pull out a lot of really dark stuff, yeah, then we're capable of seeing the stuff that was being hidden by the really dark stuff that also has some darkness yeah. built into it. And so it's going to be a continuing process, oh. but it's going to be a process that's worthwhile doing if we can maintain joy while we're cleaning house. Yeah, okay, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because it's like that. No, I, I thought I was done with it. I don't want this old thing anymore. I, I'm done with that. So it's still there. I can ah, see. But you might have to keep throwing it out. Yeah. Yeah. OK, you yeah. because it keeps coming back and invading the mind again. And yes. so it, uh, this is actually an important part of the practice that students don't understand. Uh, so bear with me as I, I put through it that. Yeah. The student will call and say, you know, we've been practicing a long time and getting really, really good at this. And so I knew that I had gotten something. And then all of a sudden, I don't have it anymore. I lost it. Mm -hmm. Now, there's two possibilities. One is, is that he had gotten up to a certain level of practice, but he hadn't had to test it yet on something really big. Mm -hmm. Or the other one is, is once we become satisfied, we quit practicing. Mm -hmm. And then we become vulnerable again. Mm, mm, and so the way that I speak to them is like this. And I know that this doesn't quite uh, a problem for you, but you can make your own analogy of it. But with the guys, I say it's like shaving a beard. Mm -hmm. Okay. At, at first, it's a big old thick thing and it's dirty and it's got animals in it and it's uh, uh, itchy and whatnot like that. So, But when we shave it, it's a lot of work. It scratches the skin, it dulls the razors and all of that kind of stuff. But then later we shave again and now it's easier. Yeah. And if we shave every once in a while, like every day, then mm. it's really easy to shave. Mm. Yeah. But if we let it go for five days, now it's going to be hard to shave again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. in this way of looking at it, that uh, sati needs to be practiced on a regular continuous basis. Yeah. Because 
And let's face it, even though you don't have a beard on your face, you've got one in your mind. Yeah. The hindrances, <laughs> the personality. Yeah. And it keeps growing back up to the surface. Yeah. Yes. All right. And so every time it comes up and you catch it, you shave it off again. Is it yeah. how you go? And yeah. this is that phrase of, aha, I see you, Mara. Mm -hmm. And by yeah. doing that, we disassociate ourselves yeah. or separate ourselves from that Mara. Yeah. That yeah. the guys who are complaining, oh, the hair is back. No, you're pretending that you are the hair. Oh. But you're not the hair. You're the shaver. You're not the hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so we shave that stuff off and we're good to go again. Mm. But we have to do that often, practicing over and over and over again. Yeah. So the time to practice sati is when we think we've got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we uh, think we've got it, then we will stop doing it. And now we need it <laughs> because yeah. we stopped. I think I've been doing, but I didn't meditate for, actually, I was, uh, me and a friend, we also went to a Buddhist monk here. I think he was from Thailand or something. A few years ago, for half a year, we went there every other week or every month or so. So he taught us some things too, and he didn't even speak English. So we didn't understand each other, but it was such an experience. It was so great to be there, but then there was, my, my friend couldn't go anymore and, and it kind of failed. But, but so I've been doing it, but I haven't had a regular practice uh, meditation going on over the years. I've been doing it on and off. And so now I, I don't know of anyone who does not have the same story that you do. That's uh -huh. just human nature. Uh-huh. Okay. 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 It's like one Christmas too many. <laughs> <laughs> and so we practice a while, we get good benefit, and then something will happen and we stop practicing. Mm -hmm. And then something new will happen and we get right back into it again. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and that happens throughout life. Mm -hmm. A funny way of saying it is, is that I retired four times. <laughs> but it was only the last one that took. Oh. The first time I retired, it didn't last but for three or four years, and I was back at work again. And then I retired again and became a monk, and that lasted for a number of years, but I had to, <laughs> you know, and so it goes in, life is in phases and in stages, mm -hmm. to where we almost always see things as black or white, mm -hmm. rather yeah. than that everybody runs through phases and stages. Yeah. Yeah. And that the more we see dukkha, the more we understand the noise in our life, then yeah. the more dedicated we get to it. So eventually one of these times we come back to the Dhamma and we say, wait a minute, I, you know, I'm going to stay here for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That I've wandered away and I suffered for it. So now I'm going to come and I'm going to stay. And yeah. so a lot of the path is actually how dedicated we become to the practice of eliminating suffering out of our life. Mm. Mm. If we become really dedicated at, at having a very clean, free life, then that means that we're practicing often, even while we're not squatting on the floor. Mm. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, the, the meditation on the floor is just a training yeah. to learn how to, to go out in life and perform. Yeah. And that 
going out in life and performing out there is merely another form of training so that now we can live our life playfully. Mm. This mm. comes out of music. To begin playing, you have to practice. Not a lot of uh, music and uh, sometimes a lot of work. Yeah. And then we get ready for the recital. But when we do our first recital, it is really a hard work. We got to make sure that we get every note correct. Yeah. And that's our focus and our attention. Mm. But 10 years later, if we know that piece, we can cut now and we can sit down and play it playfully. Mm. We enjoy playing it. It actually sounds better when we really know it and we can play our way through it rather than we have to really focus and concentrate on it in the sense of performing it. Yeah. <clears throat> and so old musicians wind up always being the best musicians because they stopped performing and started learning to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in that regard, we're going to do that with the Dhamma also. Mm. Yeah. So when people say, do you still meditate? The answer is, gosh, how long of a, a discussion do you want here? <laughs> <laughs> There is no one word answer for that. <laughs> no. that. We've got to at least get the dictionary out and start looking a few words up before we can come to any conclusion. Yeah. But what, what they're wanting to know is, do I squat on the floor? Yeah. The answer is, well, I know how. I've been doing it. I live in Thailand. Everybody squats on the floor in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> all right so um what we're looking at now is to find a really easy natural way of feeling really good because we know how to spot the things that are unwholesome in the mind and start to throw them out aha i see you myra is literally throwing it out this is not worthy of my attention yeah. Yeah. And so then the question would be, well, what is worthy of our attention? And by the way, I'm into sutta number two now in the Saba Asava Sutta in MN number two, mm -hmm. that what is worthy of our attention and what is not worthy of our attention? What is not worthy of our attention are such that we, we do not make any decent improvement in our life. Okay. Okay. And that uh, the kinds of questions that we will dwell upon is what was I in the past? What will I be in the future? What is going on? These are the kind of philosophical questions that are not worthy of being investigated. Mm -hmm. All right. So then we look at well, what is worthy of attention? The answer is those things that are worthy of attention are such that if we perform this, then there will be benefit and gain, and that we're going in the wholesome direction rather than the unwholesome direction. And then the, the next quadrant of, of this would be then, what is it that's worthy of our attention? Now here, most students will stop and read and say, oh, he's just talking about the Four Noble Truths. I just have to, to, to look at the Four Noble Truths. But it's not stated that way. Mm -hmm. How it's actually stated is what's worthy of attention is this is suffering. 
which is exactly the same thing as aha, Myra, I see you. This is the cause of suffering, the Myra. The fact that it is based in ignorance, it's based in greed, it's based in not wanting, it's based in feelings, it's based in personality. The next one, which is the one that my favorite, and that is uh, uh, to pay attention to, or what's worthy of our attention is, this is freedom from suffering. And we gain that through Anapanasati practice by coming out of the suffering. Aha, I see you, Myra. And then we settle into, wow, I'm really glad I'm not thinking about that stuff anymore. <laughs> but in fact, in fact, Sukha is born of uh, the seclusion from the hindrances. That when we see Myra and throw it out, that's a relief. Yeah. It really is kind of like taking a dump for the mind. Yeah. You know how it is to be all tied up and you're looking for a toilet and after you let it go, oh, how nice it feels <laughs> <laughs> to take a dump. All right. That's what we do with, with in, a, in the mind. And that's what gives us that pleasure, the pleasure of letting go, the pleasure of uh, literally taking a mental dump yeah. of the contents of the mind. Yeah. And so by being able to do this over and over and over again, we begin to have a pretty clean mind because we keep dumping stuff out of it before it builds up. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't get in, into blockage. We don't have any great big issues or big turds of the mind. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so this is the way that we practice the Anapanasati. And that um, it has then that quality of if I can do this and I know that I can do it, it builds that confidence, that shraddha, that power of knowing that no matter how constipated I feel, I can go take a dump <laughs> and feel the relief of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the way that we look. We can see, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. I can clean out the mind and I can begin to see the distinction between just junk thought and really detrimental, hardcore uh, worry. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an example for myself is uh, once a year, we have to do a visa. And that visa requires a lot of paperwork from the Thai government. that mm -hmm. winds up being about 20 pages, oh. Oh. including every page of the uh, passport and every page of the, uh, the passbook from the bank. And you got to get a medical, medical checkup and a certificate from your landlord and a letter from the bank and and all of that kind of stuff getting together the question is how much suffering is going to be done getting all of that stuff together especially since it's got to be really current so if the visa is due on january the 15th why should i be worrying about this stuff in october <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
to get it done. <laughs> to think that we can get it done, but it's all done in the mind anyway, <laughs> to where the actual papers have to be current. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's nothing to do until January the 12th. <laughs> but how can we then get that thought about the, the visa out of the mind? Because it only creates panic and turmoil. Yeah. It gives us a job to do. So anytime the visa comes up, we say, out. out. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to think about that visa right now. And yeah. pretty soon we get pretty good at throwing that visa thought out and it doesn't recur. But yeah. if we sit there and dwell on it, we can get yeah. worried about that visa from October all the way into January. Yeah, but sometimes I have difficulties in knowing what is to do and not. <laughs> uh-huh. The, the more you wake up, you'll see the less there is to do because almost all of our doing comes out of desire. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Almost all of our doing comes out of there's still going to be some doing. Yeah. There's still the physical life that we lead. Yeah. You still have to keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. You still have to keep eating. You still yeah. have to keep going and doing the things that, that governments require of us. Yeah. But there's a few very, very little else mm. that has to be done. Yeah. Almost all of it is coming out of greed or fear. Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. Greater yeah. fear. What is the second noble truth again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, okay. So when we begin to pay awareness, when we begin to focus and um, uh, use the quality of that which is worthy of our attention, we do it with the four noble truths, but only in the sense of what's happening right now. Yeah. And we can say, oh, yeah, that's second noble truth. Oh, yeah, I feel really good right now. That's the third noble truth. Or when we wake up, we can say, yep, that's sati. That's part of the path. This yeah. takes the right effort. Yeah. And this stuff, even though they're very small, tiny little thoughts, there's still that thought of let's take the right effort. Let's take a deep mm -hmm. breath. Let's gladden the mind. Aha, I see you, Mara. Yeah. And so... This is how we, what's worthy of our attention, mm. literally, is the Eightfold Noble Path in the practice of it, rather than uh, the Eightfold Noble Path is some sort of um, exam question. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But we see it directly. We see, oh, that's suffering. Yeah. Oh, thoughts about that visa, that's suffering. I don't need that right now. I can be quite happy in yeah. October without thinking about the visa at all that's due in January. Yeah, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, in the United States, we could use the exact example of that is income tax. Mm -hmm. Okay, and look how much uh, mental suffering goes on over income tax and income tax returns. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is almost a national trauma. Okay. <laughs> yeah. National trauma because everybody's got an income tax due all at the same time. Mm -hmm. They got to get all their paperwork together, you know. And yeah. the worst of it is, and I, I learned this finally after a while, is don't do my own income tax. Mm -hmm. Because every item on that line of income tax is a place for me to cheat. 
mm-hmm. because I don't want to pay so much income tax. Mm-hmm. But if they give it to an accountant, then I'm good to go. Yeah. But if I cheat on any little thing on that tax return, and then when I file it, now I'm worried, oh, is the IRS coming and knocking on my door or what? <laughs> so you can see how we create our own suffering. Yes. Yeah. I stopped doing those things. I never, <laughs> I don't do those anymore. <laughs> so right. I try That's to a, be very good. <laughs> I don't want example. that. Yeah, I don't want that kind of suffering anymore. So I try to stay out of things that could cause some worries in that obvious way. So, yeah. Exactly. That means it's your own guard for dukkha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But the young man who is, in fact, worried about his income tax, he's not worried about his state of mind. He's not looking at what, he, what the trauma he's putting himself through because he's too ignorant of that. And he's blinded by his own greed Mm. and then later his own fear. Okay. Okay. Mm. And so that's the way that the mind works. And congratulations for coming out of that. But you'll find more subtle ways of of doing it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just giving really gross examples because it's really easy to see at this gross level of visas and and, uh, income tax and whatnot like that. We can do the same thing with the car keys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Like where are the car keys? Uh huh. You're not I even going to drive the car, but you have the thought. Where's the car keys? No, I put them on the same place every time. But you did that <laughs> mindfully. You watched where you were putting them. That's the practice. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, because so I... using car keys as an example, and you've got that one too, but you can see how that it's a little example of this. So if, when we get the mind completely cleaned out, then there's very little left to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then then it, it might get boring if there's no drama. Wait a minute, boring, is that satisfying? Is that satisfactory? No, boring. Then you're not, then, right, then you're not practicing satisfaction when no. you're bored. No, exactly. What does that mean? Aha, Mr. Boredom, Mr. Uh, first Cousin of Mara, I see you, Mr. Boredom. <laughs> yeah. All right. And in fact, boredom is actually listed as part of the hindrances. That's yeah. just a restless mind, being unsatisfied with what's happening. Would it be, um, um, because I see how I trend them to prevent the boredom from coming by doing some things. Okay. How, how um, like watching some movie or something, and uh, uh, would it be better to stop doing that and just deal with this boredom, or what way to go? I... Uh- Actually, I have talked to students who ask a similar question, and the way that I would answer that w- with with you, which because it's got a similar feel to it, mm-hmm. is that you can take alternate days. So that on one day, you're going to work with the internet, you're going to maybe watch a movie, but it's always going to be something wholesome that if you rumble, stumble across a spot, uh, uh, a site, and you don't like what they're saying, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to write a letter to this dude. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Best thing to do is to close that site down and go find something that's more interesting that you begin to agree with. All right, so we begin to guard the mind with what kind of movies we're watching 
Okay. That quite often it's a good idea to watch movies only long enough to figure out whether it's worth watching or not. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Which is the way that I do it. But but now I'm stumbling into um, my the hobby that I have at the house here is uh, I'm online uh, downloading movies. Mm. I've been downloading movies now and the old days back in, let us say, 2002, 2003 is the, um, uh, uh, the, the file date of a lot of the old music. Mm-hmm. But then for a few reasons, I didn't do much. But then they start up again about 2008. And since then, I've gotten maybe a quarter of a million movies. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. that goes- that goes across to a little over 200 terabytes of hard drive space. Okay. <laughs> and, that, and that nowadays the only drives that I buy are the eight terabyte drives. Mm-hmm. An eight terabyte drive can, can manage about 8,000 movies. Okay. That's All a right. lot of movies. <laughs> I had various reasons to start doing it, and I had various reasons to keep doing it, but now it's just so easy to do. I've got it all set up. They, uh, I spend three to five minutes a day to um, remove duplicates in foreign language and other things like that, and then let them run. And then after that, then I will try to figure out a category for each movie. Mm-hmm. So generally, I will look at every movie just a little bit. Mm. And occasionally I'll run across a movie that is actually worth watching. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The rest of them just go into the pile. Yeah. yeah. But I've got thousands of Disney movies now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay. things like all of the Star Trek. You, uh, uh, and uh, uh, year after year of Star Trek, I've got, uh, if you know the, the Gunsmoke, I've got 17 years of Gunsmoke. I'm not sure. I think I heard of it. That's, a, that's an old cowboy sitcom mm-hmm. in the United States back in the 50s and 60s. Okay, so that's the kind of stuff that I that I have. And the reason I'm telling you about is, is that at least in this case, when I watch a movie mm-hmm. all the way to the end, it's got to be a really good one. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be something that's worthwhile doing. Yeah, yeah. But some, But there's a lot of them that are really worthwhile. Yeah. And so become selective. Don't just watch a movie or any old movie, but be really selective. And in fact, on YouTube, there are literally thousands of movies. In fact, because of YouTube, I even sometimes ask my question, why do you keep getting more movies? Yes. Yeah. The answer is sometimes I actually get them off of YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good movie. I'll yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, yeah, this is also some interesting thing, I think, uh, about the, the difference between living a monastic life and this kind of lay life. Uh, do they do things like that in the monasteries? Uh, is it allowed according to the... Uh, it, it, de- it depends on many, many factors. Uh-huh. including what the uh, the intent of that monastery or what that abbot wants to do. The abbot more or less makes the rules. Okay. Uh-huh. But in many Western watch, the monks generally don't have any duties at all. 
when I was a monk in the United States, uh, uh, in the various watts, mostly at Watt Greensboro, people would ask, well, what do you do? Because they're thinking that we're Christian monks, you know, because yeah. it's actually uh, a Christian monastery close by where we were. And mm -hmm. so people would go back and forth between the two. And so they would ask, well, what do you do? You know, over there, they get up at six and they pray and then they do this and then they have chores and then they work in the workshop and then they blah, blah, blah all day long and go back to pray. And, you know, mm -hmm. and they say, and so what do you do? And I said, I do much. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the only thing that I know from day to day that we'll do. We'll at least do lunch. Mm -hmm. Any other day is who knows. Yeah. We may be sitting in a funeral all afternoon. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've even been in places in situations where funerals had to be planned around which monks were going to be able to get there in time. Okay. <laughs> uh huh. Done a lot of funerals. Mm -hmm. I would say altogether over about an eight year period, I did about 200 funerals. Oh, okay. Mm. Because they didn't have enough monks in in, uh, in America for all of the refugees that came from Cambodia and Laos, Vietnam, and, and Thailand. Mm -hmm. And on one occasion, we had a set of funerals because of gang warfare. And we had to bury or actually cremate four uh, Vietnamese boys and two Lao boys, and we did it all on the same day. And all of the monks were at both funerals, and so were all of the family. Okay. That there was no animosity, like in uh, family disputes. This was the kids got mixed up in the gangs, and they got themselves killed. Mm -hmm. Mm. But the Vietnamese and the Lao people are still not going to let them uh, destroy their own community. Mm. Mm. So that's, that's kind of a question. It mm. depends upon the situation okay. uh, but I had a lot of free time mm. literally there was really no particular schedule okay but that's up to each individual monk to figure out how he wants to live his life can he live it well or is he going to have his computer that he has to keep shutting up and down when anybody comes around because he's looking at porn that's up to him. <laughs> it, okay, because I thought it was those uh, rules, the precepts and all of that, and, and that they are kept kind of. Uh, I... You would think so, especially from the quality of um, looking at it from um, precepts or a set of rules or a rigid way of doing things, that you have to do it this way to come in here. Normally, Westerners see that because they see it within the confines of a retreat, but retreats are special situations. Okay. Uh -huh. And the retreat situation is, is that we set this schedule for you to get in touch with your own mind, but mm. now no uh, uh, cell phones, no laptops, mm. no uh, books, no writing paper, no talking, mm. and then you come to actually deal with your own mind. Mm -hmm. Many monks actually spend time doing that. Mm -hmm. It's often in the Thai tradition for the, for the monk to go to his kuti and spend three months there. And the only time that he comes out is for breakfast. And that the only person that he ever sees is his teacher. Okay. Uh -huh. 
and mm-hmm. the teacher comes to the cootie mm-hmm. okay. to play tricks on the monk. Okay. <laughs> One of the tricks that I Chan Po would play with me would be to stand in the yard. Mm-hmm. He'd just stand there. Mm-hmm. And it would be up to me to figure out that he was there. How long is he going to stay there? How long have you been here, Ajahn Bo? <laughs> <laughs> and so I became mindful to start watching. That's part of the wake-up process, is to become aware of what's going on around you. Mm. Yeah. So if you're in a cootie meditating, you want to make sure that you know if your teacher comes before he gets in the yard. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's part of a wake-up system, Um, and it doesn't have the kind of rigid schedule needed that, in fact, you want some of it to be spontaneous. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there are ways of testing things. One Mm -hmm. example of that is generally at, at various temples, it depends, but one night a month, they spend up all night sitting together. It's part of the Patty Mark. Okay. Okay. So uh, in that all-night session, someone may give a talk. Mm-hmm. But not always. Okay. So Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was actually quite good at that, that he would start on this one night a month at about 2 a.m. He would start talking, and he would continue to talk until sunrise when it's time for the monks to go on Bindabad. <laughs> okay. And yeah, he can go on from two or three in the morning till five thirty-six. Easy, four-hour talk, sure. Okay. <laughs> I've sat and listened to many four-hour talks of Bhikkhu Buddha Das. Didn't understand a word of it, but enjoyed it anyway because he was always chuckling and laughing. And okay. Oh. Now here's an extra thing. Robert, the, my good friend here in Thailand, who has been steeped in the Dhamma for a long time, talks about a, a retreat that he did with Dhamma Vitu, who is an old monk of 27, 28 years now, uh, that teaches at Deepapawan, which is just on the next island over. Mm-hmm. And that Robert says that um, Dhamma Vitu is about the funniest monk he's ever met. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and yet in the meditation retreat, uh, Robert was wondering and worried about, are none of the people getting his jokes? Okay. <laughs> and the answer is, is, they probably are, but they're told to be quiet. Mm, mm, uh-huh. <laughs> mm. But in fact, there's a lot of jo- uh, jo- joviality of... Uh, um, uh, uh, playfulness. Uh-huh. There's a huge amount of playfulness and friendliness within the Sangha. Mm-hmm. It is not a rigid, oh, you've got to do it exactly the way that we tell you to do, and then you can be enlightened. Mm-hmm. It's no, you're already enlightened. Enjoy the heck out of it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so I met deep friendship. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful friendship. Mm-hmm. of the monks that I knew. And I felt really be- like I belonged with the, with the thing. Not having uh, the duty of making sure that I was not, um, how to say, breaking any magical rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, it, that the rules, in fact, just create a lifestyle. And once you're in the lifestyle, then 
that's how I'd go. Here's an example, and this is almost secret knowledge. Uh-huh. And that is, is that in the in the West, generally uh, there will be kitchen facilities that are associated. And when they get a house or something, then the old kitchen is now where the refrigerator is. Well, that refrigerator during the night may have a few monks visiting one at a time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that comes from the tradition in Thailand that monks... Um, by permission of the Buddha, in fact, there's, this is quite a deal, is after the meal, it's quite okay for the monks to carry food and their bowl with them back to their kuti, or generally they can wash it out right there at the eating place in the sala where they're, where they're eating uh, their meal. But the monks are allowed to take their bowl back to their kuti. Okay. But it's not a good idea to leave food sitting overnight. No. That's that's when the rule comes in. The rule about don't leave food overnight. Why? Because if you leave food in the bowl in your cootie, you're going to have a whole uh, forest full of critters in your cootie with you eating <laughs> out of your bowl. That's the thing to do when you go to sleep at night, if there's still anything in there, is to throw it out into the yard mm, yeah. so that the animals can have it. Okay. Because otherwise they're going to come in with you to get it. Mm, yeah. And sometimes the ants come in and then they're all over you. I know this is direct experience. Don't keep food in the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> so there's these kind of little things that are important. Mm. But as far as schedule goes, yes, there is morning chanting, but no, not everybody goes. Okay. Generally, the senior monks don't go, but the junior monks do, because they're supposed to. That, in fact, at Wat Tsuen Mok, it was generally known that the monks who go for morning and evening chanting are the ones who were visiting at the Wat, that they live someplace else, and are doing what they did at the Wat that they came from. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. But when they come to Wat Tsuen Mok, none of the Wat Tsuen Mok monks are, are there at the morning chanting. Okay. Mm. Or at the evening chanting, they're not there. Uh-huh. So, now, here's another one that's actually kind of humorous, and that was is that um, I was staying a short time in Wat Chulapatan in uh, Nornteberry. This is the biggest temple in Thailand. And that the, the old abbot that was there for so long, Achan Panyananda, the last time I saw him, he was in 97. So when I say old, I'm getting right into it. So he was 97, and that was like 2003, 2004, that time frame. So um, basically, um, one of the friends that I was with, he says, oh, the chanting is over in that chanting hall. Why don't you go over there to that chanting hall and see what, you know, with the the chanting? So I went uh, over there, and when the monks there found out that I was a Western monk, the chanting just got called off, and we just had a conversation. Okay. Uh. <laughs> uh. Okay, so it's a very relaxed style. Mm, okay. Yeah, there are these uh, listed formalities. Yes, there is a schedule that's posted on the door, mm. but that schedule is only followed when you've got a lot of people, like in a retreat or whatever. 
But many people who come and do a retreat at a at a want, they think that that is what life. Mm. What life is not like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is no schedule, not really. Okay. The question is, are you able to clean out your mind? Not yeah. can you clean the clock? Uh huh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense of what my experience at, at the monastery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know where they are. No. That would be, that was actually quite a famous saying. People would come looking for Achan Po. Where's Achan Po? Nobody knows where Achan Po is. <laughs> he's not in the scooty. He's not in the dining hall. He's not in any building we know of. <laughs> and And where is he? Oh, he's probably standing in the doorway of some cootie waiting for some yes. young monk to wake up. <laughs> and so it's the duty to the Dhamma, not duty to a schedule. Mm, yeah, okay. That we become devoted to, or actually, I don't like the word devoted. That always has magical qualities to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we become enthusiastic mm-hmm. or eager mm-hmm. for the Dhamma. Yeah. Joyful. Yeah. Joyful for the Dhamma. That the Dhamma, that's the good stuff. Yeah. Okay, so then when one is into that, one automatically stops doing those bad things. Well, yes, let's look at that automatic mechanism. When you are free from uh, desire, free from wanting, for instance, to go shopping, then Mm. you're unlikely to go shopping. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when you are free from your competition, yeah. And you see everybody as friends, you're not likely to start making a bunch of catty remarks about mm-hmm. other people that you know. Yeah, okay. Okay, so uh, there is the Patty Mark. It's a long, long list of what you would consider rules. But mm-hmm. in fact, there's just, uh, many of them is, is etiquette. Things that we have as part of our society, but it went wound up also as a as a very minor rule in in the patty mark. An example is don't talk while you're eating. Mm. Don't put too much food in your mouth. Mm. Those are the kind of rules that you will have on eating. I think there's like twelve, maybe twenty rules about about eating. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, that have to do about how the bowl works and um, uh, how to mix and or to not mix and what size morsel to take and uh, don't chew with your mouth open. Mm-hmm. These are the, the things, okay? Mm-hmm. Kind of things we teach our kids. So there's these, <laughs> obviously, that part of the patty mark is, of, you know, not much value. No. <laughs> uh, but it does indicate that they expect you to be eating with your hands or fingers rather than eating with dining utensils. Mm-hmm. If there, if dining utensils were part of the patty mark, they would naturally be be listed. Mm. Yeah. But uh, they they're indicating like uh, how to how to bunch your rice together in a little ball mm-hmm. so that you don't have rice all over your hand. Mm-hmm. These. <laughs> kinds of things to do. You know, you take your rice and you put it into a little ball and you pop it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
There's also the other kind of rules that had to do with what we were talking about just before that, and that is like gossip. Mm -hmm. You don't insult people. You mm -hmm. don't tickle um, uh, the monks with feathers. Mm -hmm. You don't hide their, their, uh, their bowl. Mm -hmm. You don't mm -hmm. hide their robe. These are the kinds of things that are, that are rules that you would expect. Another one was don't laugh out loud in a public setting. Mm. And, and then a lot of people say, what, monks can't laugh, huh? No, we're talking about you. You don't laugh out loud in court. Mm. You don't laugh out loud in the Gary where a, a speaker is speaking. Mm. That's inappropriate to laugh out loud when nobody else is laughing. Mm. That was, that, in fact, that was Robert's dilemma. How can I keep my mouth shut so that I don't laugh with, with Dama Vitu here cackling all of these jokes and nobody's <laughs> laughing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that laughter part is only in the sense of out in the public so as to make the monks look bad or foolish in public. Mm. But in the monastery, there's a lot of laughter. Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, goodwill. Mm -hmm. A lot of goodwill, uh, uh, good nature teasing, the kind of stuff mm -hmm. that you would expect from a Zen master carrying a Zen stick. Mm -hmm. Achan Po had his Zen sticks. He would stand in my yard until I would wake up. Now, that was a Zen stick. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and another one, he would uh, sneak up behind me and say just a one phrase, like, Tatata, which mm -hmm. is actually the word for be here now. In other mm -hmm. words, if I can sneak up on you to where I can whisper in your ear, you're not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> And so this is the way that, uh, that, that the monks operate with each other. Very playful, very uh, uh, joyful, uh, and to try to get the monks who, are, who have not come along, who are still sad sacks, to try to get them to come out, mm -hmm. to be alive, to be uh, not caught in the misery of following the rules. Okay. Yeah. Because when your mind is naturally clean, you're naturally going to follow all of the important rules. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be disrespectful to somebody if you're good friends with them. Exactly. There were only okay. So mm -hmm. these these kinds of uh, rules about uh, uh, being respectful and all of that. These are rules that you say, yeah, okay, but this is basic society anyway not a big deal mm. and so the, the the rules of the monks are are like that it's designed to have a good living situation mm. okay people get along with each other that uh, animosity about uh hiding one's bowl or uh playing tricks upon people that embarrass them mm. yeah for instance, Achan Po coming and whispering in my ear didn't embarrass anybody or didn't embarrass me in front of anybody other than myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was not a whole bunch of monks standing around laughing, but sometimes that does happen naturally. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so that's monks' life, and that it is, in fact, a joyful kind of place, but a lot of people from especially looking at it from the concept of um, Western 
Christianity uh, uh, Catholic monasteries. Remember, their their dude suffers. He, they yeah. nailed him up on the cross. There yeah. he is, a total sad sack. And so their ideal is to be the sad sack up on. Can I can I be more miserable than Jesus? Huh? <laughs> But Buddha, no, he's a he's a he's a happy dude. <laughs> so there's a change of reference there. <laughs> yeah. One is normal living, though. You know, be sad. They're teaching it in in uh, in Christianity, even to the point of you can't be happy without Jesus. You've got to have help. You got to come take Jesus as your savior to save yeah. you from your sin. And what is your sin? Your own mental blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. That's sin. So we need to stop our own sin. Jesus is not going to prevent us from our sin. Only we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if people are convinced that only Jesus can help me, and he doesn't, then that means they're doomed to Mm. pretend to be like him, which is now we've got him on the cross. So, In fact, one of the jokes that I like very much on that is the Protestants, you know, they they came along and said, we don't need Jesus on the cross. We want him to go rise high in the air. (laughs) But as soon as he gets about 10 feet up, some Catholic is going to grab him by the heel, pull him back down, and nail him back up on that cross. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think there was something about, yes, when I realized it's me, I got myself into this misery, into all of this, and that was a big, big uh, opening for me. If I did it, if I got there myself, I can get out of it too. And uh, like only I but, can do that. But that that is the second noble truth and the joy of the second noble yeah. truth. I yeah. got myself into this. I can get myself out of it. Yeah, I, I think that opened everything up because I was stuck in the dark. I had no way out. I didn't understand anything. I didn't know. I didn't. And then suddenly someone told me, it's you. Uh, and, and now you're putting up hindrances for yourself. What? <laughs> I didn't understand. But I knew there was something there. And if I did that to myself, I can also stop doing it and get out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's that must be a Buddhist thing somewhere in what I got. I got it from somewhere which wasn't really Buddhist, but there was a lot of. I can hear that now when I listen to you and other people. It's really this that woke me up, that helped me. It's uh, those things that that make sense and that I know I can go by, go with that. Right. Yeah. We have now we we now have a north star or a kind of compass. Mm. We have that that um, assurance. Yeah. But that yeah. Re- that assurance is really just confidence. Uh huh. Mm. That we know that we've got the path. We know that we can follow the path. Yeah. Yeah. But in fact, the word path is not a very good word here. 
because we think of the path as like a footpath or a highway or something mm -hmm. to where the actual word path is like method or way of doing things. Yeah. That's what okay. we mean by the Eightfold Noble Method. Yeah, yeah. And the method is wake up, yeah. take the right amount of effort, yeah. change your attitude, yeah. and be joyful. Yeah. That's the Eightfold Noble Path. And by doing so, the mind becomes unified. Yeah. And when the mind is unified and pure, then our sila automatically gets really good. We don't go around harming people because we're not afraid of them anymore. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't take things from people because they don't have anything I want. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't molest other people because I know that that causes a great deal of suffering, that that will backfire. Yeah. And so we naturally, uh, through our wisdom and understanding, our behavior gets marvelous. Yeah, yeah. Without yeah, following any rules at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, yeah, I, I have a question about you. what you say, attitude. Is that what uh, is that one of those um, things in the Eightfold Noble Path? The right, yes. uh, it, right what? Right. I use the translation of the right attitude. Other people use the word right intention. Uh -huh, Some okay. people use the word right thought. Okay. So I will take a moment to show you why the, what we're doing here is not thought. Yeah. And it's certainly not intention because intention is nothing but wanting something. Yeah, okay. So I intend to do something. This is more of a stable yeah. in the moment of this is the right attitude about things. Mm. And the attitude is the attitude of being a winner or being successful. Yeah. Because that gives us then part, they, they, they work together to bring satisfaction. Yeah. If we feel like we are victim, for instance, to our hindrance, then that victimization is the wrong attitude. We need to have the attitude, oh, no, I am not a victim of the hindrance. I'm the boss here. Out you go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So this is what we mean by right attitude is, is the uh, second item on the Eightfold Noble Path. But yeah. the way that Buddha talks about it uh, in the... Um, great 40 in the sutta number 117 he talks about it like this oh monks come together and I will teach you right organization of mind or right unification of mind and then he says first off what comes first is right attitude and then he goes into wrong attitude, ordinary attitude, and noble right attitude. Or excuse me, view. First comes right view. Yeah. Okay. And basically what we understand right view uh, to be uh, by comparing it to wrong view, we can say that wrong view, an easy way to talk about wrong view is I can get away with it. Yeah. I can go do anything. I can hurt anybody I want to. And there's going to be no repercussions. Mm -hmm. There is no saint, there is no mother, there is no father, there is no fruit of labor. All of that kind of stuff is wrong view, which comes down to I can get away with it. 
one's right view then is, oh, no, you can't get away with it. You've got to follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, you're going to hurt. We're going to make sure that you hurt because we're going to watch you to make sure you follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is society. This is ordinary right view. Mm -hmm. It brings the society out of chaos and brings some organization, but it doesn't bring about the end of suffering for anyone. Mm -hmm. The Buddha's job is not to bring a bring about coming out of chaos into organization. His job is to transcend the organization mm -hmm. so that we could see things wisely through investigation. Yeah, yeah. All right, so one's right view is investigation. Yeah. Now that we have that, we bring in sati, right, uh, uh, waking up, mm -hmm. uh, and also right effort. And so right view and right effort and right sati begin to run around each other. Mm. And as they do, that brings about right noble attitude, the mm. attitude of success, the attitude I can do this, the attitude of doesn't matter how obstructed my mind gets or how cloudy or unfocused I am. I can take a deep breath and come back and see what's going on. Yeah. Okay. That's one's mm. right attitude. Mm -hmm. The attitude, I can do this. Mm. The attitude, I am not a loser. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that's how it works. It's not a matter of intention. I intend no. to be a winner. No, yeah. this is the attitude, I am a winner. Yeah. Yeah. You said this before, too, but you didn't compare it to those uh, concepts. And now I, I get it completely because that always confused me a lot, intention and, and those things. And then it starts spinning again and I don't understand. Now I see. Yeah. Now you got it. Yeah. Great. Now you can practice and have that that attitude, yeah. that attitude. I can do this. The attitude yeah, exactly. of I can feel good. Yeah. The attitude of I can come out of the personality. Yeah. And make and make up a, a new self for myself. I can be who I want to be. I am not stuck in the past. Mm. Buddha Dasa talks about this, that there is a choice. The mm. choice is yours. Are you going to follow your old past comma? Are you going to make a new choice about how you're going to live? Mm. It really is simple in way of describing it, but we have to keep practicing it over and over and over again mm. until we get our sea legs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have one more question. <laughs> Let's see. All we'll right. See. One more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, those feelings coming up, they, uh, it was more about thoughts the last time that I got into my head and so on. And I've been, I think, kind of an expert in so many ways to cut off those feelings. I didn't want to feel anything. And then when I, 20 years ago, when I actually started feeling and started to realize, uh, learn what is a feeling, I didn't even know <laughs> what it was. And they helped me to kind of understand and what to do with it. And I, the, the one I really learned how to identify was this confusion and it's still there for me and this emptiness and I get into this cutoff uh, state. All right. and, so here but should I do the same with those feelings as I do with the thoughts? 
because I learned the answer that... to that directly is both yes and no. Okay. But let's go back to the confusion. Yeah. All right. The way to manage confusion is to recognize that deep inside the human psyche is fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And that we express that as doubt or it can come up to full blown fear. But it does come out of ignorance. Mm. I like it. I don't like it. Or I don't know what to make of it. Mm. That's confusion. Here's yeah. how we manage it. We mix joy with it so that it is no longer confusion or based in fear. But now it becomes enthusiasm and curiosity. Okay. So your confusion becomes curiosity and you begin to investigate. So, in fact, we turn that confusion, which means now we're actually hiding from what's really going on and we're turning it into a dedication. No, I'm really going to look. I'm really going to figure out what's going on. I can do this. Yeah. And so yeah. we add the joy and the success with the confusion and voila, we get curiosity now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was that? You know, and now let's go chase it down rather than, oh, no, what the heck was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. confusion. Yeah, okay. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because really what, we, what we're saying is we don't know what to make of it. Mm. And really the answer is make of it what you want to. Okay. But normally we're afraid of the dark. Normally we don't know. Normally we hide from that which is uh, scary. This yeah. is in fact what gives rise to the territorial instinct. We don't know what's out over there. It must be dangerous. Mm. Or those people, we don't know them. They must be dangerous. Mm. Mm. This is in fact the source of all human warfare. Mm. It's confusion. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who they are. Let's fight them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I stopped doing that at least. So most of the times, I fight myself in a way, but but not. Uh, All right. So bad. now instead of I don't know who they are, let's fight them. It's now I don't know who they are. Let's go introduce ourselves and figure oh. out what's going on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So we don't deny the confusion. We recognize that it's there, mm -hmm. but now we're going to put it to good use. Yeah. yeah. It gives us a kind of an energy or an uplift. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. that's, that's helpful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, when things wait. make sense uh, it's yeah <laughs> i don't have all those questions because usually when i ask one question i get 100 more and they know what about this and it starts spinning and i need to ask more and more but now i get answers and yeah uh, <laughs> it's it's great mm -hmm. i'm glad i'm glad for you i'm yeah. glad that things are fitting together because you actually have heard all of this before someplace yeah. but now we're beginning to put things together yes yeah it's like like an automobile mm -hmm. there's two kinds of automobiles 
One of them is when everything is put together and functioning correctly. And the other kind of automobile is a whole stockyard full of parts. <laughs> okay. And that's how more people have a mind. They have a mind that's just got things all over the place. They're a crowd. Mm. They're scattered. Yeah. Scatterbrained, we call it. Okay. Yeah. And we move from thing to thing. Uh, and we, we deal with fear, et cetera, like that. So yeah. the whole point then is to integrate. Put this thing together. Yeah. Just like car now is all together it's got a functioning part it's mm. one thing it's a car it's not just a bunch of car parts yeah mm. but mm. there really is no carness there is no self in that car and no. we know that because it can be pulled back apart mm. yeah and we then think of ourselves as oh i'm a self oh no when you begin to pull it apart and see all of these various parts and recognize not any one of these parts is you. Mm. Then when you put the thing together again, you recognize, wait a minute, that means that I am not a whole thing by itself. I'm just a process yeah. of happenings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's all we are. It's just a process. We're not an entity. Just like yeah. the car is not really a car. Mm but it is put together in a way that it functions like a car. Yeah. I started seeing a little of that too more. I know it somehow that it is like that for me, but I started seeing it somehow now in, in a different way. So that too is new. So it's, I'm, I'm happy to see all those new things that really make sense and fall into place. And it's, it's a, a freeing, very much freedom in knowing this. Uh, Good. Yeah. So Great. thank you so much. Keep, keep investigating, keep looking. <laughs> yeah. yes. And we'll go a little bit deeper next time. Yeah. Keep yeah. your notepad out and write those questions down and we'll, yeah. Get, get them all straightened out. Yeah. Well, how how long time would be a good time for uh, before I call you the next time? Oh, a half a week or a week, something like that. Okay. Up to you. Okay. Is it a better time to call when fewer students call, so not everyone calls the same time? Or yes, but I don't know when that is. Okay. Some days nobody calls, and some days like today, there's been. I think you're the fourth caller, and I still have someone waiting, or fifth caller. Okay. And when yeah. you talk an hour and a half on each call, and they're the fourth call, <laughs> that means to put in already six hours of talking. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll, I'll call you <laughs> then. Yeah, I'll call me, and if I'm around, I'll answer. Yeah, or I'll tell you I'm on a call, and you can call later. Yeah, is it better to text, to to type, or to just call? Both. Okay. okay. Both. Why? Because sometimes if you call and I'm not there, then that call is not recorded, but the text messages are. But yeah. if you text message only, like "Are you available?" I may not get that message. Yeah, okay. But if you ring, if you call, then it's going to go ding, 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 and then I can hear it, okay? Okay, so it's okay. It's best to do both. Okay, then I know. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. It's been a joy. Yeah. Nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, see you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay.